0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world, thanks to each and every single one of you. I am so glad that you've been training your mind for peace and purpose every day, every week with me. And today I'm going to share with you a behind the scenes conversation that I had with Glennon Doyle, a good friend of mine. And she and me got into this incredible conversation on Instagram Live, but I really wanted to share it with you because you know, when you go live, not everyone's on and people miss it. And if you're a fan of Glennon and her incredible work, then you're going to love this conversation because it's totally different from any conversation I've had about the book. We dive into what's happening in society. We dive into activism and we dive into purpose. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Thank you so much. And make sure you leave your review. I really feel that everything that I'm sharing in this book is not to make people more passive. No. You know, being, being peaceful is not being passive. Being purposeful is not being passive. Being compassionate is not being passive. None of this is to make people more passive. It's to make people more active with a deeper intention.
1: I want to tell everybody a couple things. First of all, the reason that I'm thrilled to introduce anyone who doesn't know you to my audience, I'm sure they already do, but as you well know, Jay, there are a lot of people in our lane that are wonderful. And some of them, you meet them and they talk about peace and love and acceptance. And then you meet them and you're like, but I don't know if it's working for you. <laughs> right? You are you teach so beautifully, but in real life, you have just such generosity of spirit and a real joy just a commitment to service that feels nothing like martyrdom. It feels like it's joy to you. And whenever I meet someone like that, I just feel determined to, you know, it's like being like, okay, I'll have what he's having. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So that's the other first reason. But the other reason, this book, first of all, here are all my notes for our (laughs) talk today. And I'm going (laughs) away. I decided last night because I feel like it's been a weird time to launch a book, I know, but the reason why I think this book is doing ridiculously well and is all over the place, I think I saw it in Times Square yesterday, (laughs) right? (laughs) Is because I think the universe knows when we need certain messages. And I think that we as a nation are in such a state of trauma and fear and anxiety, a fight or flight constantly, there's something that is helpful, peaceful, healing about what you've written that is helping people in this moment. So thank you. And can you just talk to us? First of all, would you mind telling everybody this story about how the hell you (coughs) became a monk?
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, Glennon, I'm going to thank you from the bottom of my heart because as you were saying that, I was trying to just receive it because it was so beautifully and genuinely shared, and and it truly just really touched my heart. And you have this incredible energy. Every time we're together, the first time I interviewed you for your incredible book, Untamed, and I was so excited to meet you because I'd followed your work for so many, many years, and the conversation we had wasn't a conversation. It was like this deep connection, and I really felt that. I really felt it. And I just really appreciate those words from you about what I'm trying to do in the world, because it means a lot coming from someone that I'm inspired by and, and uh, in awe of. So thank you. That genuinely means the world to me. But going on to becoming a monk. So now I wish I got to be a monk at the monastery. That would have been cool. That would have been an <laughs> epic place to be a monk or a monk. I don't know if that's how you would say it. But uh yeah, so I was born and raised in London. I never in the world imagined being on any sort of well-being path or spiritual path or any, anything of that sort. I was surrounded by people who wanted to do well and just perform and succeed. And that never really sat with me either, but I didn't have a better alternative. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are in that place sometimes yeah. where we don't know the alternative, so we follow the most common path. And then when I was 18, I met a monk. And so I was really fascinated when I met him. But before I met him, I had this slight arrogance and cynicism around what I could learn from a monk. I thought, well, what am I going to learn from a monk? I was fascinated by people who went from sacrifice and pain and broke through and did something with their life. And in my opinion, I was like, well, what has a monk done? A monk's gone from nothing to nothing. I want to meet people who've gone from nothing to something. And and so I had this cynicism, but my friends promised me that we would go to a bar afterwards if I went to this event. So that was the state of my consciousness, just to put it out there. And so I went there with arrogance. I went there with cynicism. And I went there with just not expecting anything, really. And it's one of those humbling, ironic moments in your life where you walk in expecting nothing. And you walk out feeling like you've gained everything you were looking for. And Mm. that moment just completely changed the trajectory of my life. And it was because I realized now in hindsight, I didn't know this then, but when I was 18, I'd met people who were rich. I'd met people who were famous. I'd met people who were beautiful and attractive. And I'd met people that were knowledgeable and intellectual, but I don't think I'd ever met anyone who was truly joyful. Mm. And that's what he had. The monk had this this aura of purpose in his life and meaning and fulfillment. And it wasn't like this sparkly halo-like energy. It was just, he had it in himself, in his presence. And so it's almost as if the question I ask people today is, who's your monk? Like, who is it in your life that you haven't met yet that could change the trajectory of your life? And for me, it was a monk. And for you, it may be someone else. But that's how I met a monk, got inspired. And then when I graduated a few years later, I decided to turn down my office in the city and go and live as a monk for three years. And so that's why my role models and idols became monks from 18 years old. And I started interning with them in my summers almost. So I would spend half of my summer vacations interning at a finance company in London. And I'd spend the other half living with the monks in India. And then when I graduated, I decided that was the path that I wanted to go on. So that's the quickest version of that episode. <laughs> so
1: you guys, this isn't a dude that just is like, ew, I'll choose Monk is my brand. <laughs> it's like an actual freaking Monk. Okay, Jay, real quick, I need to know, what did your parents say when you told them that you were going to
0: just go ahead and be a Monk? Yeah, Glennon, it's funny you say that about the brand thing. You know, it's really funny. I hear that sometimes. It's just like, oh, Jay, like, you know, this, this Monk brand thing's cool. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, I just want to let you know that becoming a monk at 22 was potentially the most uncool thing I could be doing. Just to put it out there, like, my friends thought that, like, the craziest thing was a lot of my friends, a lot of my guy friends at university, they were like, Jay, what are we going to talk about anymore? Because you won't talk about women. And I was like, is that all we talk about? I was like, literally, is that all we talk about? That you feel we don't have a relationship anymore? And then I had other family members saying to me, you've wasted your life you've wasted all your parents' support, Uh, your education was a waste of time. And so I was hearing all this noise and people saying like, you know, you'll never get a job again. You know, you'll never make money again. You know that you've just been brainwashed and, you know, you've just lost it. And that's literally 99.9% of the people in my life were saying that. And thankfully my parents' were not pro my decision, but they were not against it. My parents have kind of, since I was about 14, 15, when I started rebelling, my parents just started giving me freedom to make my own decisions. Mm. And so my parents kind of just let go from the age of 14, 15. Up until then, they really tried to direct me and guide me. And then from 14, 15, it was just like, well, whatever you want. And so they gave me that freedom. And then my younger sister's always been like my biggest cheerleader. So she supported me. And she was happy for me. But if I'm completely honest, all I was hearing was just, Jay, you've ruined your life. Yeah, it's not cool to go and be a monk at 22. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or any age. <laughs> I mean, I just
1: want to take a minute and, think, and just highlight what you just said. Because so many people on, in this community are parents. When you said my parents were not super pro, but not super against, <laughs> that feels like a really important place for a parent of a teenager to be. Because sometimes I I try, my kids are a little older and I'm trying to like let them, we always say disappoint me, don't disappoint yourself, right? So, but sometimes when they have an idea that is right up my alley, (laughs) I get really pro that thing, which is just as controlling. So that is a monk-like parenting move that's like, even when you're really excited about it, just like. A little bit of neutrality and unattachment that lets them control themselves. Okay,
0: I love that. Let's look at the monk-like parent mentality. I love it. You can extract all these principles.
1: We have talked about before is people who just started following me don't know that I started my entire writing journey with a blog called Monastery. And the reason why is because I was obsessed with monks. (laughs) I was. At the time, I was obsessed with the Benedictine and just this idea of people who didn't, who rejected a little bit of the way that the real world yes. works. And we're like, there's gotta be a better way with like more peace and more connection and more joy and more contemplativeness and more like, so they remove themselves. But this is what I like for you to talk to us a little bit about, Jay, because it's not about what you, when you said you liked people who struggled and you know made a difference and showed up. I think there's this idea that, this sort of living is escapism.
0: Mm. And Mm -hmm. so
1: you're talking right now to a community of rabid activists. (laughs) Okay, So help us understand, because what I know is what you prove in this book, which is that the more monk-like we can be in our minds and bodies, the more effective we are in the world. So can you talk about that, how it's not an either or?
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that. I actually wanted to quote because you said Benedictine monk, So I quote some Benedictine monks in the book. Uh, so, okay. chapter 205 Benedictine monk brother David Stando Ross defines gratitude as the feeling of appreciation that comes when you recognize that something is valuable to you, which has nothing to do with its monetary worth. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful definition. But anyway, you reminded me of that. So I wanted to pull it out. But uh, mm-hmm this principle is really important. And I chose the path that I did of becoming a monk because half the day was self and the other half was service. Mm -hmm. So our morning was dedicated to self, Mm -hmm. self self-realization, self-actualization, self-mastery. And the rest of the day was serve, 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 go and make a difference. And we were doing everything from feeding kids to homeless people, to building sustainable villages. Like our whole rest of the day was sharing and serving, but we were trained in understanding that the quality of our service is the quality of our sadhana, and sadhana means daily practices and your daily purification. So what we were made to understand is that if you run around trying to give water to everyone in the world, but the well that you're getting water from is muddy, then you're actually spreading more disease and more pain in the world. But if you've purified your well, and if you're trying every day, by the way, no one's perfect. So we're always purifying and cleansing. But if you're daily purifying and cleansing and giving that pure and cleansed water from that day, then the whole world can be healed. So when we live in this way, we get an opportunity to truly feel the benefit of also living the life that we want others to live. And I think often we try and live it through them rather than recognizing that first, if we experience the joy of clean and pure water, then we will be even more incredible ambassadors and advocates for that. And so for me, being an activist is probably one of the most beautiful roles we can all play in our lives. And I would want to consider myself, you know, active in that space too. But I do feel that, we can be even more powerful, as you said, even more effective when we ourselves practicing and cleansing and preparing ourselves. And that is a daily commitment. It isn't a, I've done that now and now I'm clean. Mm -hmm. It's not a destination. It is very much a daily practice. I hope that answers your question, Glenn. Yes, it does.
1: And the daily part, Jay, also, I think that so many people think that like, we get the self thing right. We Mm -hmm. just nail this personal life. (laughs) And then we can show up for other people. That's yeah. not my experience at all, right? Because I I feel like on a daily basis, never feel like I'm nailed, like I'm ready, I'm done, I'm fixed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. We had the first day when we had our first monk class, the senior monk said to us, he said, This is a hospital. It's not heaven. And he said that some of you are doctors and some of you are patients. And he said, sometimes you'll see that the doctors are also patients. Mm -hmm. And he said, sometimes you'll notice that the patients can also become doctors. And he said, you're a patient and a doctor every single day, all at the same time, just like we all are in life. Mm -hmm. We're all patients and we're all doctors in some way. We're students and teachers. And so the more we realize that, yes, I fully agree with you, that there is no point where you say, now I have solved myself, now I can serve it's actually in the service, you go deeper in your own self practice. And as you go deeper in your self practice, you go deeper in the service. It's a symbiotic relationship. And we shouldn't wait to feel complete before we give because then we'll never give. And at the same time, we shouldn't give without trying to cleanse, because then we're not giving anything of value. And so it's always both. It's always both.
1: And you said we can give ourselves the benefit of living the lives we are trying to get for others. Like, did anyone who's listening want to cry at that? When I think about how much we're fighting for people to have freedom and rest and like how uh, very enjoy and then all day I'm bitching about, you know, I just, (laughs) I think that's a beautiful goal to give yourself a little slice of what you are trying to provide for the world, your children, your partners, your friends. It's so beautiful. And I love people like you because I can't stand people who think that they're doctors all the time. I need people (laughs) who understand that they are doctors and patients.
0: Oh, for sure. It's really interesting you raise that Glennon because I also find that it comes in our own human psychology where we like to project perfection onto others in our desire for this divine in our desire for this complete projection and actually it's so important to listen to what people say so i often talk about me and my wife often talk about the arguments we have or the difficult conversations we have to have or the challenges and the differences that we have in our relationships and it's really interesting to me because often people will just be like oh but you both are so cute together and i'm like yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Exactly. And it's not what we just said. And so I feel that even with me, I had to start listening to what you're actually saying, to what the other people that I'm inspired by are actually saying, because it's almost like we've also created a culture where people have become perfect in their imperfection, but the person's trying to say, I'm not perfect either way. You know, if that makes sense, you know, it's oh kind my God. of like, yeah.
1: Glennon, you're such a mess. It's just perfect.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like nothing's perfect. Like, you know, it's just so beautiful to live in our, and I'm very aware of uh, all the flaws I have to work on, the long, long way I have to go. It's one of the reasons why I go back to the monastery every single year. And me and my wife go there for about two to three weeks and we live with the monks again. Because every time I go back, they remind me of how far I have to go internally. Mm. And that to me is in a beautiful, encouraging way, not in like a judgmental or a a condescending way, but in an inspirational way of making me realize and an aspirational way that there is so much work for me to still do. And, And I think that there's a beautiful story that Robert Downey Jr. tells in an interview that he was having at Cambridge University. I think he talks, they're like, how does it feel to be Iron Man? And he goes, you know what? When I come home, my kids and my wife are not like, oh, my God, it's Iron Man. They're like, do you want to take the cat litter out? Like, do you want to take the trash out? You know, and it's like we all need people around us who are human with us. And that reminds us of our normality in a good way, you know, and we can embrace that. So I love being reminded of how far I have to go because it makes you constantly want to learn and it makes you constantly want to grow and it just makes you not bored. I mean, it would be boring if you kind of not had anything to work on.
1: Absolutely. And I love that you said that what inspires you is just people being inspiring. Mm. It's people with more joy. It's never people who are like, you suck and you need to do that. Like that's never inspired anyone to be. No, It's just people being amazing. Yeah. Being it's... joyful. And then you're like, I want what he's having.
0: Yeah. Right? I think there's a great St. Francis quote, I believe it is. And he said, I think it's him. And I'd have to check. But he said, you know, you should preach all day. You should preach all day. And then if necessary, you can open your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, use words, yeah. And it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And I'm just like, you know, that's the hardest part. And that's really what I think is, is the genuine uh, aspiration that I think we all have is that your presence and your demeanor and your behavior Mm -hmm. naturally inspires. I think today, obviously we do need to use words. I think there are plenty of causes and reasons for us to shout and be loud. And here's the interesting part that I believe you're trying to, like, get out today and bring out, and I really appreciate you for it, is that you can shout with compassion. Mm. You can be loud with affection. Mm. You can be direct and assertive with depth. Mm. Like you can. You can do all of those things but when it's not done from that place it can often sound like ego and it can often come across from you know something else and of course in the beginning a lot of it can be from pain and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. but i think that there's that line which we all have to grow and cross where our work will have more and you see that the biggest change makers on the planet they were powered and fueled by love and compassion. You see that even the people who brought the biggest changes in our society, their heart was full of joy and compassion and love. I was reading a quote the other day because I was preparing for something by Maya Angelou. And she said, hate has solved not one problem yet. And just realizing that we've got to fight with love and we can be compassionate and courageous and we can be direct and assertive and dynamic. And we have to be, we need to be.
1: In this moment, it's like, I just think it's also important to know that this outpouring of pain, which often is anger and rage, is because of love.
0: Yes. Right? Yes. That is
1: love. Like the reaction to Brianna's. Oh, yeah. It's It's love that demands different. It's love that says that is not justice. It's love... So sometimes love can look like pain and can look like, but we still have to see it as rooted in crying out for justice, which comes from
0: love. That is so beautiful. That is amazing. I hope everyone who's listening is, is taking that. That is so beautiful. And I mean, that's what it means to be a love warrior. So mm-hmm. it's so true. It's so true that I absolutely love that. I can agree with you more that that's Our feeling of injustice comes from love. Mm -hmm. When others start to notice that and when we notice that in ourselves, Mm -hmm. oh, wow, that becomes so powerful. People who
1: are saying things in a way or protesting or outwardly showing us pain, when we can look at it and instead of reject it, see it as love.
0: Yes, when others try to see it as love, and when we also see it as love in ourselves, we'll also feel that we, we have so much more power inside of us. Because even if you see it as anger and mistake it for anger and pain within yourself, that can be different. So not only we need people externally to view others as this is their love they're fighting for, otherwise why fight? And at the same time, we ourselves need to see the love within ourselves that's making Mm -hmm. us fight because that will keep it. Love is more sustainable than any other emotion. Yeah. Like, anger will run out of steam. Mm -hmm. All of these emotions, pain will push us a little bit. But love will just, you know, love has that cascading, ever-flowing effect that we all have felt in our lives. It's almost like a mother, and I'm not a mother, but I can know my mother's love for me, and you can know as a mother, like... A mother's love, even if the mother gets angry at the child or feels some pain for the child, the love just comes in like flows all over it. Mm-hmm. And so I have felt that from my mom many times. And I genuinely feel that all the good qualities I have are because of my mom's love. Mm. Uh, for me, if we feel that love, it will last, the fight will last longer, the positive fight. The, um, you know.
1: That's so good. That reframing is actually going to help me today. Because we get to the point, my team just gets to the point sometimes where we're just like, okay, we're not like the fighting. The, it, we and we use that word, like I'm, I'm tired of fighting, the fighting, the fighting. Yeah. And maybe just the reframe of we're doing the same things, but it does make it feel forever sustainable.
0: Yeah, it's it does. More renewable. It does. It does. Battle is tiring, you know. Battle mm-hmm. is tiring, and, um, but love can keep you going in battle. Or in that. And that's why I love Love Warrior. Is, is the perfect name for it. It's brilliant because that's really what it is, is that we can all keep, you know, we can keep figuring it out and keep changing paths. And there's a group uh, called The Upside of Stress. And in it, the researcher talks about, her name's Kelly McGonagall, and she talks about how when we feel purpose behind something, when we find meaning behind something, we can keep going and take on more stress and pressure than we ever have had in our lives. And I think we all notice that, that when we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves, you keep going, you keep moving. It's when the fight was for yourself that you sometimes let go. And I think that there's something in that. Love and purpose and meaning are so much more intertwined. Anyway, I think what your team's doing is phenomenal and I'm totally with you. I really feel that everything that I'm sharing this book is, is not to make people more passive, no, you know, being being peaceful is not being passive. Being no. purposeful is not being passive. Being compassionate is not being passive. None of this is to make people more passive. Yeah. It's to make me people more active with a deeper intention. Yeah. That's the goal.
1: Can you just I know that we don't have too much time left, but
0: I've got time, but I don't want to okay. have your time. Okay. So yeah.
1: I know that none of this is is selfish and it's service related, but one of the things I loved about this book is that. I don't know how to, we all, I use different words for it all the time, but I have spent most of my life dealing with anxiety disorder. Okay. So one of the things I loved about this book was, um, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of actual helpful ways to deal with anxiety. Mm -hmm. That I know that you said it's not a personal selfish thing, but I actually do feel like your approach is helpful in community, but it's also helpful for me when I'm by myself in my own home trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. So because I talk a lot about mental health, there is a lot of people on this call right now who, while well, I call them my anxious bunnies. <laughs> Can you just give us something to help us come down from our anxiety, manage our anxiety that is simple and will help us as we go through this
0: next 40 days and then... The rest of our life <laughs> yeah yeah are you thinking more practical like more like active stuff that people can do or is it mindset shifts where do you feel what was the parts that resonate? i'm happy with either
1: whatever you okay. want. i'm thinking yeah. things that we ways we can change our thinking yes what do you do when you have people you work with because yes. you guys know that jay you know was a monk and then he came here and so all of his friends were like dude can you help me with my life <laughs> so then he began working with people one-on-one so when you deal with someone who has yes, yes. anxiety, what do you tell them? What do you think in the present?
0: I think the first thing is to realize that there's two types of anxiety. One is existential and one is situational. Mm-hmm. So situational anxiety is like the moment to moment triggers, something happens in the day. And the existential anxiety is is far more deep rooted in You know, whether it's our relationship with our parents or our upbringing or, you know, things that we need to kind of heal and go through. And so I think situational anxiety is a good place to start because that's what most of us feel throughout the day. And so I'll start there. One of the biggest things and these three things are as monks, our lives were sight designed, scent designed and sound designed. And what I mean by that is we underestimate how powerful our senses are to change how we feel. And so the number one thing I I mentioned is when you wake up in the morning, studies show that 80% of us look at our phone first thing in the morning and the last thing at night. Now, here's what's happening when you wake up and look at your phone first thing in the morning. You're allowing news, notifications, and negativity to create noise in your day. So let's say you slept well. Let's say you slept well, first of all, you're starting your day at a zero neutral. And when you wake up and look at news and notifications and negativity you're now starting your day at a minus five Mm. and so now the whole day you're trying so hard to just get back to zero and I'm sure anyone can relate to that that struggle of just like I'm just trying to get back to zero whereas if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you saw was a prayer that you love a quote that you love a picture of your family or someone important to you that moved you It could be a picture or a work of art that brings joy to your life. And imagine you just sat there for 30 seconds, read that prayer, repeated that mantra, that affirmation, and just allowed yourself to start your day in plus five. Now, even if negativity hits you throughout the day, you end up at plus two. you You still win. And so the biggest focus for anxiety is don't start your day with anxiety. And for me, my favorite affirmation that I've learned over the years that I've repeated myself in the morning is, I'm exactly where I need to be. Mm. Because I find repeating that to myself reminds me that I'm not ahead or behind, I'm not late, I'm not in a rush of, this is where I'm meant to be. A second practical technique that I really love, and this is for people that feel anxiety throughout the day. And we were trained in it as monks, as a grounding technique and centering technique, but it's used a lot by psychologists and therapists today. And it's known as the five, four, three, two, one technique. So five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing that you can taste. If you're feeling anxious, what's happening is that your energy is all in your mind. It's all in your head. And so when you get back into your physical space, we're actually touching. Okay, I'm touching this, I'm touching my shorts, I'm I'm touching this desk, I'm touching this phone, I'm looking at the sky, I'm looking at the tree. When you do that and you come back in your physical space getting out of your head that's what it means to actually get out of your head and the third and final technique that i really really love is this idea of realigning your body and your breath so anxiety is experienced as we were trained as monks is that when your body is ahead of your mind so you wake up in the morning and your body's rushing around and your mind's like oh i just want to be in bed or you do the opposite You wake up and your mind's racing around and your body's like, ugh, I just wanna stay in bed. So all of our friction in life and tension and anxiety comes from our body and our mind being out of alignment. Mm. So the way you bring your body and mind back into alignment is by being here and saying, I am here, I am present. And then when you breathe in for a count of four and out for four and you count in your mind with your breath and you breathe out, count again, you're aligning your mind and your body. And so when you bring your body and your breath back, and I do that throughout the day, I do it before I'm going on stage, if I'm doing that, or if I'm going into interviews, or if I just walked out of a really stressful meeting, or if I'm rushing, I do that in the back of cars. I do that just when I'm at my desk typing, and I just think, Mm -hmm. oh, this email gave me a lot of anxiety. And I'll just stop there and I'll be like, (sighs) just whatever I need to do that, And you just start to see that it just you just need to re-center throughout the day. That's all it is. You're just recentering, and that's a great technique. And the sound and the scent design, my wife got me into scent design. She has diffusers and essential oils in every room that is different for the feeling of that room. And so when I walk into that room and I could be having a really busy day on the phone, I walk back into our home and all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh, that smells beautiful. What is that? And it's lavender, it's sandalwood, it's eucalyptus, whatever she wants. And I know it's just straight away all of my senses just calm down. And so mm. scent design is underestimated. Light a candle and don't just light a candle when you feel like it. Keep it on in that room so that you know when you walk into that room, it counts you. And then finally sound design. Uh, again, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first song you listen to? Does it set you up for the day? At the end of the evening, are you listening to music that calms you down? We can use all of these things to design our life in a way where we're getting the feeling we need from something external rather than having to always have to create it. And so when people are like, create peace, create peace. And it's like, how do I create peace? You can actually use your senses around you. You know, when you walk into a spa and you just smell the, the beautiful oils and you just go, ah, I know I need it. Make your house a spa. Uh, and we're all stuck indoors at the moment. So it's worth creating environments in your home Uh, location has energy. How can you create energy in your home through sights, scents, and sounds?
1: It's so good. I mean, what I'm taking away from this right now, and, and this is so weird. I've heard you say this before. I've read this in your book. It doesn't matter. Every time it's new to me. It's like anxiety does that, right? So we're human every day. So every time I hear it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. But what I am gonna do as a result of this last five minutes is I am ashamed to tell you that even though I know how terrible it is for me I still look at my phone first thing in the morning and Jay listen to I was just telling Abby this yesterday I sleep with my dog she sleeps right in my head and when she sees me pick up my phone in the morning she takes her paw and pushes it out of my hand
0: <laughs> that's amazing I love that
1: and I think like well, Abby thinks it's because she wants me to pet her, but I
0: think it's because she's a spiritual guru. I love it. I love it. That's so beautiful. That's amazing. I wish everyone had that in the morning.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so amazing. I'm going to move my phone out and I'm going to put yeah. something beautiful on my nightstand that will be the first thing that I see.
0: Even if just it's 60 seconds, just 60 seconds, just sit mm-hmm. with something for 60 seconds because you're literally trying to get your brain to go from zero to 100 miles per hour in two seconds. That's literally what we're doing. When we pick up the phone, it's like you're trying to get your brain to just act. Imagine someone said to you that when you wake up, Glennon, 100 people are going to walk into your bedroom and ask you questions just as soon as you wake up.
1: <laughs> and so yell at me and, and say terrible things. And say about terrible world. things.
0: You would never let anyone do that, but that's what we do. We let the people walk into the bedroom of our mind every morning, a hundred people or more walk into the bedroom of our mind and we start our day that way. So no wonder we're, we're always catching up. We always feel like we're catching up. And so we have to start starting in the positive and yes, the day will exhaust you. i that's life. That's normality, but at least you end up in the positives. And that's how I feel. Sometimes I meditate in the morning and I feel like a 10 by the end of the day, I feel like a one mm-hmm. because I'm exhausted and I've had to deal with so much negativity and anxiety. But at least I'm still at a one. At
1: like least a negative four.
0: Exactly. That's a win. That's These a win. These days, we will take a two. Jay. Yes. We really will. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. I don't always feel at a ten. I, I feel at a one sometimes or a two, but I want to make sure that I'm in the positives. I don't want to get into that space of starting. I don't want to feel like I'm climbing the day. I want to feel like I'm going down a ladder through the yeah. day. <laughs> that's good. That's good.
1: Okay. Tell me, I just want to know as, as a friend, I'm just curious about this. Are you surprised? Did you know that this was going to be as helpful and big as it has been? Or are you surprised or do you, you're not a very, you don't seem to me to be too much into the, you're less results oriented than, than input oriented, but tell us the truth. How does it feel? What's been the most exciting part? All the things.
0: I have to be honest, Glennon, and say that my whole career has been a surprise to me. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Because, And my friends who I'm still really good friends with in London, we talk about it often, like the walks we'd go on or the conversations we'd had. And they know the stuff I used to say. And I used to say stuff like, I just want to try and help. And I have no (laughs) idea if anyone cares. And I don't know if anyone ever will care. And you know, for me, it's really hard to explain that to anyone who didn't know me for the last 15 years, but my friends that are back in London that I talk to often, we often say that. Like, for me, it was just, all of this has been far beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And I just feel humbled and grateful by it. And with the book, especially, I mean, it's it's really interesting because even when I talk about social media, like people are always like, oh yeah, but you, you're you on social media, etc. But for me, the only reason I went to social media is because no traditional media companies would give me a chance of sharing this message. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that I took to social media thinking it was gonna be this amazing platform where I would have this reach. I actually took to social media because I didn't have any other options mm-hmm. and and there was no one else willing to give me a chance. And so I had to start myself. And so it's almost like self-publishing. Like, you know, that, yeah, that was the yeah. reason, that was the reason why I did it because no one was giving me a chance to be on a show or, you know, create a show. And so, yeah, I just feel grateful, I feel humbled. It's been amazing that the book's useful right now. I finished writing the book last November. uh, So I wrote it well before everything, but the feedback that I've had that, you know, this book has come at a perfect time for people, that's really meaningful to me. And, And the ironic thing is that to me, wisdom has always been urgent. Like the messages in this book to me have been forever urgent and forever timeless. Everything I wrote in this book, I believe we need every day. I believed it 10 years ago. But the fact that people are more ready to receive right now and digest right now, that's the miracle of the universe that people have that opportunity. And so I'm, I'm really happy that I get to play that role and serve in this way. I really hope it serves people and helps people. That's the biggest highlight. And the best highlight, I'm sure what you said is true. Like, I really believe that everything's in the preparation and the process. Like I think for me it was I worked really hard. We had a great team of researchers for the book to find the science, and I had friends who recommended the best PhDs that we could get scans of monks' brains and all of this insight. And so there was just a lot of work that went up front into the book, and for it to be received this well is obviously I'm I, I love having a good result too. I'm not you know I'm human. I, I enjoy having a positive result, and I love it. And I'm grateful. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm never going to say no to it. I'll, t- you know, I'll take the love all day. But, uh, but my, my biggest hope is that it genuinely helps people navigate what's happening in their life and, and that I can continue to write more and share more. And, uh, but yeah, I always have this. It's really interesting. Every time I try a new medium... I have a massive nervousness and anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. And so when I went from videos to the podcast, I was super nervous. And when I went from the podcast to the book this time, I've been super nervous. And up until the day before the book came out, I was like, is Uh anyone going to read this? And so, but I love that feeling now. I've just got used to it, that that's part of the journey. And actually that nervousness makes me prepare better.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so I
0: engage that nervousness and that anxiety into saying well if I'm nervous what can I do that's going to make me feel less nervous and that usually is more preparation it's mm-hmm. not more trying to figure out the result it's more preparation mm-hmm. so very humble and the nervous
1: is also you're alive right You're yeah doing something that means something you're totally in our family we call it so it's like that feeling of butterflies it's yeah. half scared half excited so we call it skited
0: I I love
1: that to kind of rename it as something that means you're alive. You're where you're supposed to be. You're taking risks. You're reinventing. Right?
0: That's so beautiful.
1: Well, I can't think of. First of all, I'm glad it didn't come out in the very beginning of the pandemic. I think we needed a little bit of time where we could actually sit and read.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I agree. I'm so glad that was a call from the publishers and the team and. I, I they're amazing for making that decision. And also books were non-essential right at the beginning. And listen, was, I know. Yeah. yeah, I know you know, but I mean <laughs> I your book is, your book's phenomenal though. And I, I also think your book came at a perfect time. It's incredible to just see the impact that your work has had over the over the years and just you know, to have you in my life, Glenn, and I'm grateful. And people won't know of our, our offline conversations. Mm-hmm. But uh for me, my relationship with you that that we're developing is is just the most precious gift because I mm-hmm. Even this conversation, again, like, just so that everyone knows, everything we talked about today was what we wanted to talk about yeah. today. Like, it, was, it, was yeah. just, it was just what came up. No, we didn't, was, talk
1: we these, didn't talk about yeah. any
0: of this We didn't like, talk about any of And that's what I love about us. Like, that's genuinely so rare. Like, I'm not saying this because it sounds good. I'm saying it because it's so rare to be able to just talk to someone as if you already know them and you know each other's hearts. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I find with you is that when I talk with you, I feel like you already understand my heart. Mm. And so I don't have to explain my mind, if that makes sense. And that's like a very, like, it's a very special, weird thing that I get when I talk to you. Like, even today, the whole conversation, just like, oh, like, I love it. I just, no filters, no, you know, no just, filters. yeah, no, it's amazing. You have a very special power to do that. And I, and I love you for it.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I think about the message of peace and purpose. And really, peace and purpose, and that, that's what you say in the subtitle, but peace and purpose is really what you're saying with the self in the morning and the service in the afternoon, right?
0: Absolutely.
1: Peace is here because we cannot be out there preaching for peace, you know, marching for We cannot want peace or make peace until we have it to give.
0: Absolutely. Right? So the peace,
1: because I have to understand things linearly, The so peace <laughs> is the morning yes okay
0: yes. yes
1: the purpose is the afternoon that's where we Good. shall have been served with the clear water that we correct. have for ourselves in the morning
0: correct and there may be times in your life where you're doing a lot more purpose yes and then there may be a time in your life where you do a lot more peace so it's phases it's like it's not always going to be perfectly balanced and perfectly there and it's not like every day runs like clockwork there's going to be days where you're sleepless nights fighting for purpose, right? You're going to be there showing up. And then there has to be the opposite where there are times where you're just going deep. It's both. And and it doesn't have to be perfectly cyclical or rounded. We're not trying to get to perfection here. We're trying to get to a point where we understand what we're missing. One of my monk teachers would always say to me, he said, if you want to move three steps forward, you have to go three steps deep first. And it was just such a good reminder. And he'd always say that to me, and it just stuck with me. And so every time I think about doing more, I first have to realize, well, first I have to try and become more. I have to try and uh, feel more. I have to, you know, to do more. And so if I sometimes feel, and you may feel like this, sometimes you may feel like you're really fighting and pushing, but nothing's happening. And that's the note that my monk teacher said that's the point where you realize, all right, now I need to go inward. And then you go inward. And then you act again and you just see things start to flow and the opposite is true also that sometimes you can just keep going inward and nothing's happening because Mm -hmm. you just that's all you're doing. And that's not the point of it either. And so either of the we, we need to embrace polarities, not not divide them. When we talk about affection and assertiveness, when you talk about compassion and courage, when you talk about inward and outward peace and purpose. We've got to embrace these polarities. They're not separate. They're not opposites. We think they're opposites, but they're not. We have to embrace both. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Want to do more, become more. If you want to become more, do more.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well said, yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that.
1: Do you see what I'm saying here? (laughs) Okay. I mean, go pick up this book, keep it by, this could be the thing you keep by your bedside. I think it's helpful in the peace part, it's helpful in the purpose part. It's beautiful, Jay, you did such a beautiful job. Also, you all need to just to follow Jay on social. And if no other reason, just because his wife is so freaking funny.
0: <laughs> My wife is any better than me and she's amazing. <laughs> I can't wait for us all to hang out, Glennon. That's what I'm like know, excited I about. I you know, soon, soon. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. Jay, go carry
1: on. Go spread. Think like a monk everywhere today. I know you're so busy. I'm so grateful for the time you spent with us today, and I'm just cheering you on in your corner.
0: So grateful. No, thank you, Glenn. This is amazing, and and honestly, like just hearing from your heart about the book today, it's just it's melted mine. Like it's just been amazing. And uh, let's keep doing lots of good work together. I want to do so much more together and find ways to support your work even more. And I've always been your fan from before I knew you. And so mm-hmm. it's my honor to even have this time with you. So thank you so much.
1: You must have recognized the monk in me, Jay.
0: <laughs> well, like, you definitely think like a monk. You definitely, I mean, you were, you were thinking like a monk from the beginning. I mean, who starts their writing career with monastery as their, like, who does that? Like that's like- Not a like, lot of
1: people, Jay. Not, not a lot great. of people pick a brand word that no one can say yeah. for a decade.
0: I love it. I love it. That's why we're connected. That's why we're connected. But no, this is beautiful, then. And, and, and yeah, I can't wait to see you soon. And, and let's catch up again soon on a on call. It will be really nice.